Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. ...here today that you might find validation, that you might find purpose, that you might find a divine calling on your life because God wants to give that to you today. If you aren't aware, we are currently in the midst of a sermon series entitled Knowing His Name, where we're going through the Old Testament names of God, and we saved a special one, one based out of Genesis 22 for this Easter Sunday. So if you have your Bibles with you, that's where we're going to be. But I want to start off with posing a question. Has anyone ever struggled with slow processing speed when it comes to understanding something? Maybe not with everything, but maybe certain things. I know for me, it's cars. Like, I really, as a dude, I want to be able to understand cars. But I just always find a way to just, it takes me forever. You know, it's like, I, there's so many diagnoses, there's so many ways that something could be wrong with my engine, and I just can't figure that out. It's probably because... You, have, you can't go quickly, you know. Me, I'm a, I'm a quick guy. And in order to fix anything in a car, you got to unscrew like a thousand bolts. And by number three, I'm already done with it. I'm like, let me just give it to the professional. I'm done dealing with this. And so when it comes to processing things, usually for most things for me are very easy to understand. But when it comes to cars, there's just a, there's a gap there. And it takes me longer. I have to process things a little slower. Uh, you may also see this in your grandparents or maybe some older folks that you deal with when dealing with a smartphone or uh, when you're trying to teach them how to use an app. Man, anytime people come into Chick-fil-A, the old people come into Chick-fil-A trying to use their mobile app, which is so simple to me. And it, it's something I can easily process, yet for them, it takes several minutes, if not up to hours, to be able to completely gl- uh, grasp what Uh, an app is, or even how a smartphone works. How do you take pictures? Their pictures are all blurry and out of focus, and they're pointing at the wrong things. You know, like, for me, looking at them, I'm like, what? Why can't you understand? And it's in the same thing. They just are slower at processing that information. You know, you can also see it for others. Others Other people, they they struggle when when it comes to processing math. Or when it comes to anything sports, my wife, man, I have to tell her the rules. No offense, Janie. Janie is the best wife ever. By the way, it's her birthday. So if you haven't told her happy birthday, shame on you, but you still have time. I'll give you to the end of today. Otherwise, I'm upset with you. But nonetheless, happy birthday to my wife. But if I, man, it takes me forever to under, just to get my wife to understand the basic rules of like football. And don't get me wrong, it's very confusing. But for a dude, and for a, a majority of dudes, it's very easy to look at a sporting event and get it pretty quickly. Uh, also, video games. Sometimes You got those people out there who, when they buy a new video game, they, they latch on. They know exactly how it works. And sometimes I play a new video game, I'm like, this is too confusing. There's too many controls. I don't get it. My processing speed is a little slower than most. Um, The reason I bring this up today in starting our conversation on this name of God is because when it takes a long time to understand something, 
it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty easy to want to give up or to find a shortcut, a shortcut. In the same way, though, there are parts of God's character that we will quickly understand as Christians. And then there are others that literally will take us up to decades to understand or even just to begin to comprehend. There's things within the realm of God, within the character and purpose of God that we can understand pretty quickly that I am loved. There's, a, there's some, For me, to know that I am loved by God is something that I've processed pretty quickly. But for some, it could take years of their life to understand truly that the God of the universe that created all things loves them. And the reason I say that today is because in this specific story in Genesis 22, there's a name of God that took decades for Abraham. That's our main character today, Abraham, to learn, to grasp and to understand. And so as we look at this passage, as we read this together, I hope that you see that. Remember that this specific event in Abraham's life happens 25 years after the promise God gives him. And so it takes Abraham 25 plus years to really truly understand this name of God. And so when it comes to any names that we have covered within the last six weeks, if you're thinking, man, I feel like some people are getting it faster than me. Some people understand the character of God within the realm of Jehovah Rapha faster than I do. Some people understand Jehovah Nassai better than I do. Just, just give a little grace to yourself. Also give a little more grace to others as they deal with that and realize that our processing speeds, our understanding of God's character are all going to differ over time. So uh, if you have your Bibles, Genesis 22, we're going to cover the first 14 verses. We're going to read them together. So if you're at your home and you'd like to stand as we read the Word of God, you can do that with us. So, uh, But this is what the Word of God says in Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two, two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here while the, with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself that is, Isaac carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they had reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. 
Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, that's the name. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word. And we're so thankful, God, that you are so patient with us as we slowly process your character through these names. So God, I just pray that you'd give all of us grace, grace for ourselves, grace for others as we come into contact with who you truly are through these names, God. That we wouldn't compare our walks to others around us, seeing that everyone else is understanding it more than us, but God, just help us deal with our own journeys and our own battles and come to know you in our own time. It could take weeks, it could take days, it could take years, it could take decades. But God, at the end of the story, you get the glory, and we come to know you in a more intimate way. And so, God, we pray that today that intimacy would deepen here and now in the word together. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, I've set up the scene for you. You know about Genesis 22. Let me back up and tell you a little bit of the story of Abraham. If you want to go to verse 1, I want to... Uh, show you something within verse 1. It says here in the very first verse, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Uh, I don't really like how that's translated here. If you look at the Hebrew, uh, you can translate it a little differently. Other Bible translations say it a little differently. It says something more like this. Now it came about after these things. This shows us that this specific event is told with a sense of unparalleled drama than all the rest of the scriptures. Abraham, known as the man of faith, takes one final faith hurdle. This is the culmination of Abraham's whole faith experience. See, Abraham's whole life journey, his whole faith journey, had been about learning this one name of God. Yes, he learned other aspects of the name of God that he processed more quickly. But this is the name of God that, that really took over Abraham's whole faith journey. And the same thing for you and I. We might spend our whole lifetime figuring out one name of God. Maybe it's the same name here as Jehovah Jireh. But there's a specific character of God that he wants you to know personally. He wants you to know deeply. He wants you to know intimately more than anyone else. So if you and I were to get one thing right about God in our whole life journey, it's because God meant it that way. We're not meant to know and be able to completely understand God in his, in his fullness on this side of the earth. And so God says, let me at least focus on one thing. It might be the only thing you ever learn rightly about God, but in the same way, so it is with Abraham. See, at the beginning in Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham to leave his family and to go and become this nation, he gives him a promise. God says, hey, listen, if you leave your family away from the idols, away from the idol worship, I will take you and I will make your name great. You will become a father of a multitude. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. I will give you a place to dwell and your 
family will be a blessing to all nations. It's called the fourfold promise for those of you who are Bible theologians. The fourfold promise. And it's so funny that of all the people for God to choose, he chose Abraham because at this point in time, he's about 80 years old when he calls. And yet he has no sons. He has no family. And God says, I'm going to make you a father of many. So many as numerous as the stars. You won't even be able to count them. And so Abraham goes on this journey. He listens to God. And, and don't get me wrong. There's many times, many, many, many times that Abraham took the situation into his own hands. He's impatient through the decades. Instead of waiting for Sarah to have a son who, who will later be Isaac, he takes Sarah's servant Hagar and they birth Ishmael. Not only that, after that doesn't work out, he says, well, how about I adopt Eleazar, one of my servants, as my heir? And you can build your multitude, your nation with him. And yet, even though Abraham many, many times, not just those few times, but many, many times took it into his own hands to see that God's promise would come to fruition. God was patient with him. God still used him and he came through on his promise of Isaac over 25 years later, 105 years old. And his wife is just as old as him, a barren womb, a barren woman. And yet they were able to have a son. Let's go to verse two. Then he says, now, now look at this, that specific thought in with, within the, that lens. Let's look at verse two. Now take your son, this son that who encapsulates all my promises, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and, sa and, and sacrifice him. Understand how Abraham might have been thinking. See, it wasn't an outlandish request for a God to ask somebody to sacrifice their son. There were many idols and gods around that would do the same. For example, Marduk. Marduk was a God that many people would offer their children as sacrifice to. So this wasn't an, this isn't just like a, whoa, what are you talking about, God? This was a known practice throughout nations around him. And, and Abraham probably had some thoughts like, man, I thought you were different than the other gods. I thought you wanted me to be a different nation. And he, he probably had some thinking there, but, but it's, so, it's so amazing how in complete obedience Abraham walks. I mean, think about it. Wrapped up in Isaac were all the promises of God to Abraham. He was the crucial foundational piece. And, and here's my takeaway for this. In order for us, you and I, to ever understand any name of God, we must, be, we must first search our own intentions. The question I'd like to pose today in light of this is, are we worshiping God for who He is? Or for what he does for us? Are we worshiping God for his character? Or are we worshiping him for his benefits? If we aren't content in knowing God as Jehovah Rapha, we, aren't, we don't deserve his healing at all. If we aren't content with knowing Jesus, knowing God as Jehovah Nassai, we don't deserve his victory. If we aren't content with knowing God as Jehovah Jireh, we don't deserve his provision. For some of us, God wants us to sacrifice the things, the very things he promised to us. 
The very things that he said, hey, I'm going to bless you. I'm going I'm to take you and you're going to shine bright. And we think that we understand the will of God. And then the very thing we think he's using to bless us, he says, hey, I want you to give that up. I want you to give it up. And it's God checking Abraham's heart. Hey, listen, are you following me? Hey, this journey from Genesis 12 to Genesis 22, were you just following me because you wanted to have a great name? Were you just following me for my, prom- my fourfold promise? Or are you following me because you love who I am? That's what God is saying for us here today. Are you worshiping God for who he is or for what he does? Because sooner or later, there's going to have to be a heart check. We're going to have to check our own intentions. If we're ever going to understand Jehovah Jireh, we have to be content with knowing him just as that. The provision, it'll come later. But we don't deserve the provision if we aren't content with the fact that we just know that God provides. So, in verse 3, so Abraham arose early. It's amazing. He responds in immediate obedience. I mean, think about this. This, The scripture doesn't say that he had a word of objection. There's no struggle of deep inner turmoil. He just gets up and goes. I mean, think about having any father, any mother, anybody with kids. Think about that. Giving up your son, who at this time, Isaac was probably about 15 years old, is what they say. 15 years old. Um. Old enough to know what's going on, as we'll see later on in the passage. I've known my son Ethan for two years. And it, I, could, I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine the internal struggle, the feelings that I would have, the hesitation, the doubt that I would have if God were to ask something this big of me. And yet here is Isaac, excuse me, here is Abraham maybe he did have some struggles, but the scriptures doesn't say. He just walks in immediate obedience. And it shows that there's something deeper at play here in Abraham's heart. And I think you can see that more clearly as we go on in verses 4 and 5. On the third day, Abraham took up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here while the with, with the donkey, while I and the boy go over there. Notice what he says here. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. I think sometimes we can overread this and not notice it, but I want you to see this utterance of faith. See, Abraham knew God would not remit on his word, so he trusted him. He knew that if God was saying, hey, Give up this promise that I have. He knew somehow, some way, God was going to figure it out. He knew that God would, if, if he was going to kill Isaac, he knew God would bring him back to life. He said, hey, we are going to go worship, and both of us are going to come back. Not just me. We are going, and we will come back. So if I do kill my son, God will resurrect him. By the way, it's an awesome thing, because even, even though it hadn't occurred in human history yet, he knew God would resurrect him. If he really was going to kill him, he knew God would bring him back to life. There is no recordings of a resurrection in human history here. And we can actually see that in play in Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. We don't have to go there. Just read it on your own. But it speaks about how Abraham knew that if, if he had actually killed his son, that, he, that God was going to bring him back to life. I mean, that is an amazing thought. 
the hall of faith. Wow. And let's continue on in verses 6 through 7. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here. Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Notice this. Isaac probably disrupts what is a very awkward silence. Think about taking your son to his death. And I believe in this passage in verse 7 at the end there, Isaac's starting to connect the dots a little bit. He's like, wait a second. I see the wood. I see the knife. Where's the sacrifice, Dad? I'm freaked out. I'm a little scared. What's going to happen? And so he asks his father. He goes to his dad. He's like, wait a minute. I see all these things, but where is the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Hey, listen, I, there's a lot of talk about Abraham's faith in this passage in many, many scholar, scholarly works. But I believe we need to start thinking about the faith of Isaac to keep walking straight to his death. I mean, think about that. He, he looked his own father in the eyes and he said, okay, I trust you, dad. I trust you. I trust you, Father. Whatever you say goes. Okay, I'm going to keep walking. I mean, think about this. Think about this when they get to the top because it doesn't really say anything here. We read this passage and then it goes right to when he's about to kill him. But think about it when they get to the top. He's probably like, hey, listen, son. I'm going to have to kill you. But don't worry. Don't worry. God will, God will bring you back to life. I mean, think about the thoughts Isaac's going in his head. He's like, what do you mean, Dad? You mean you're about to kill me and you think God's going to bring me back? You must be outside your mind. And we look at Abraham in the story. We say, wow, what great faith. But for the fact that Isaac would lay his life down on the altar is just as great. Let's read in verse 9. And when they had reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac. It doesn't say that he fought him and, he, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I couldn't imagine. Abraham looking down at his son, who we know is searches, looking right back at him. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. I mean, think about this verse. I mean, wow, verse 11 and 12. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. What a sigh of relief. What a sigh of relief. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Verse 14. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Wow. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. I just want to give a little more glimpse into what that word Jireh actually means. See, the word Jireh actually translates to see to it. The Lord who sees to it. The English word provides means, uh, the, word, the English word provide means to see beforehand. 
And I think sometimes we can miss that when we think the word provide. But if we looked at the word provision, we can understand. He, he sees something in the future, a vision. He sees something ahead. And he says, hey, listen, I'm anticipating this need. I'm telling you to go sacrifice your son. But I know you're going to need a, I know you're going to need an animal. I know you're going to need a ram. So I'm going to provide that already. Provision to look ahead and see a coming need. In this case, God anticipated Abraham's need for a sacrifice. Listen, I have nothing else to say to you today. I have two points of conclusion, two moments of provision for you and I. One moment of provision here and now, and then one moment of provision in eternity. And this is all I have to say today. This name of God, remember, can be a slow processing speed situation, especially in the light of circumstances of, un- of the unforeseen struggles that you and I have had with the coronavirus. Can I encourage you today? Can I build you up today? Perhaps for some of us, if not all of us, this coronavirus is God's way of asking for our Isaac. Whether it be our job, whether it be our financial security, whether it be our planned out agendas, whether it be our health, that thing which is most valuable to you has, been ta- has taken its toll from this virus. It's the last thing that you want to give up, but God is asking for it. And here's some good news, people. Here's some good news. God saw the coronavirus coming. He says, I see what's coming, and guess what? I've already provided ahead of time the things you're going to need for this season. God says, hey, listen, I saw it coming from a mile away. It wasn't out of my sovereignty. It wasn't something that was not on my agenda. And so God said, hey, listen, I provided something for you. I already knew what you were going to need in this season. So I don't know if you're struggling financially. I don't know if you're struggling in your marriage. I don't know if you're struggling with your kids. I don't know what you're struggling with. The father says, I saw, I see the need. I've anticipated the need. It's already there. I provided it for you. I saw this ahead of time. I have, I am the God of provision to see beforehand. God saw coronavirus coming and he says, Hey, listen, I'm, I've anticipated your needs and I'm ready to meet them. All you have to do is give me your Isaac. All you have to do is give me that thing which you found your, your, your security and that thing which you value most. It's been attacked. It's been abused. It's been beaten through this coronavirus. But God says, give it to me. Give it to me. I've seen coronavirus coming. I've seen it coming. And guess what? I want to provide for you because I already have it ready. I don't know what that means for you and I today. I don't know what that means for you. But God says, I saw this beforehand. It's not a surprise to me. So that's the one, the moment of provision for you and I here in the here and now. And here's the, the, the moment of provision for eternity. In the same way, did you know, in the same way as God provided that ram before Abraham ever left his, his, his home, in the same way before the foundations of the world, God anticipated our need of a Savior. In creating us, in making us in His likeness, giving us our own will, God knew that you and I would mess it up. He knew that you and I would mess it up. And guess what? He created us anyways. Before there was ever a garden in Eden, there was a cross on Calvary. Revelation 13 tells us that. That literally, Jesus was not an afterthought. He was, 
He was before time, before he even created us. He saw ahead of time. He said, I see later on down the road that these people are going to sin. I see later on down the road that they're going to fall short of my glory. Well, guess what? I saw it beforehand, and I'm going to provide for them. And catch this. Think about it in, in light of all the other scriptures, right? Between the Old Testament and the New Testament were 400 years of silence. And then John the Baptist came onto the scene. And he's preaching a message of repentance and baptism. And the very first time he sees Jesus, he says this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1, 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This idea, this specific story is a complete foreshadow of Jesus coming. Think about Isaac. He carried his own fire that would kill him just as Christ carried his cross. He, he, he is led by his father. He looks in his father's eyes. He says, I don't know what you're doing. Just like in the garden of Gethsemane, father, I don't know what you're doing. This, this cup of wrath, father, if it's your will, take it away. If not, let your will be done is the same way when Isaac looked into his father's eyes and said, yo, where's the sacrifice? I don't know what you're doing, Dad, but I trust you in the same way. We see this faith of Jesus working out just as in Isaac, and he literally lays down on the altar without even fighting. And think about this. Ooh, this is my favorite part. The place where this happened, Mount Moriah, where this place takes precedence is Mount Moriah. Catch this. Built into the hillside of Mount Moriah was Jerusalem. Where is the holy temple? It was on this same mount, the same mount where Abraham sacrifices Isaac. It's all, all a big foreshadow. On this same mount, centuries later, that's where the Lamb of God was slain for you and I. And think about it. God was so moved by the fact that Abraham would give his one and only son, yet he did just that in giving us Jesus. He says, I can't believe that you actually were going to kill your son, and then God goes and does it himself. This story is such an ultimate foreshadow. And what I love about this story is that's exactly it. Jesus, you and I, we have no right to have a relationship with God. We have no right to be right with him. But Jesus, before the, God, before the foundations of the earth said, I'm go, I see a need coming and I'm going to meet that need. And I'm going to meet it through Jesus, the blood of the lamb. He is going to die for them. I, they deserve the death on the altar. If it, were, if it were us on the altar, we deserved that. But God, but, but God said, no, look at the ram stuck in the thicket. That's Jesus for us. We deserve death. We deserve separation from God. But Jesus Christ, just as that ram took Isaac's place, so Jesus takes our place, and he is the thing. He is the one that is killed on our behalf so that we might have a relationship with him, that we might know him as these names, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And what I love about this story the most, it's all motivated by love. Everything is motivated by love. God saw beforehand. He said, I love these people so much. I haven't even created them yet, but I love them so much. I see their need. I'm going to meet it beforehand. The father loves you. He loves me. He loves all of us enough to kill his own son for us. A son that was perfect, who lived a sinless life, 
who did not deserve death so that you and I could be made righteous with him. Abraham loved God. That's what motivated him to give his son. Isaac loved his father. That's what motivated him to stay still. God loves, loved us, so he sent Jesus. Jesus loved us so that he took the death on the cross, even though he didn't want to do it. Newsflash, Jesus didn't want to do it. But he knew that his father's will was greater than his. He knew his father's will was greater than his. And so he did it anyway, all because he loved. What I love about the cross is that it gives love a name. His love, his mercy, his grace, his joy, his victory, all of it has a name. In the story of the gospel, the fact that a, a sinless man, God in the flesh, were to take our place on a cross, who carried his own cross just as Isaac carried his own wood. He died in our place so that we could be made right with God. If, that, if that's something that you haven't come to understand today, I pray that you would get that right, that you would see that love has a name, that you would see that victory has a name, that you would see that joy has a name, and its name is Jesus. Jesus loves every single one of us. He is the ram. He is our substitution. You and I, we deserve death. We deserve, we deserve to be burned. And yet, and yet Jesus took that on for us, that we might keep on living and not just living. Isaac ended up dying later, but you and I will live forever. The ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate gift, not just life, but life to the full. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you've given love a name. That all, this whole story is motivated by love. Abraham's love for you. Isaac's love for his father. God, your love for us. Jesus, your love for us. Jesus' love for the Father. Love is the motivation. And we thank you for people who are listening, who've been searching for love, who's been, who've been searching for joy, who've been searching for victory over things in their life. God, let them know today that all those things are found in your son, Jesus. That is the name of love. That is the name of victory. That is the name of joy. And in, in this moment, Father, if there's anybody listening who hasn't come into right relationship with you, God, that they, they would make that right here today, here and now, that this Easter Sunday can be their resurrection story. If, if there's somebody who, who wants to pray a prayer of salvation, they can say something like this. Dear Father, I'm so sorry for the sin that has separated you and I. But I'm grateful today for Jesus. That he died in my place. He was the ram in the thicket for me. I deserved death. I deserved to die myself. But you've given us a substitute in Jesus. That he might die for me and that I might live a righteous life. A perf I might look as perfect in your eyes as I possibly could. I accept Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection in faith, knowing that the love you have for me, knowing that the victory you have for me, knowing that the joy you have for me has a name in Jesus. Amen. Father, we just thank you for the validation of Easter. 
And Father, we pray that just as everything about Christianity begins to make sense, the, the disciples were confused and scared. The, the, the people who were interested in Jesus were confused and scared. Friday and Saturday, but when Sunday came, all the dots connected. It all made sense. And so God, maybe there's someone who's listening here today that they just haven't been able to figure it out yet. They haven't connected all the dots. Perhaps, God, today you'd start connecting them. That they'd see the true meaning of Easter. The check has cleared. Every promise you've made, you can now keep. Every command you've given now has authority in our lives because of Easter. We thank you that we're not wasting our life. We thank you that we as Christians aren't living some fanciful ideology. God, it's real. There is truth. Truth is real. Love is real, God. And, his, and love has a name, and that name is Jesus. Jesus, we love you. And just as Isaac looked up to the Father, trusted him. So we, Father, as Christians, look up to you, look up to your son, Jesus, and we trust you. Help us in this time of coronavirus. Help us in this time where things are stretched thin to give up our Isaac, to give up the thing which we find most value in and trust you with it and know that you are Jehovah Jireh. We want just to be content in that. We don't want to worship you for the things you do for us, for your benefits. We want to worship you for who you are. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.